everybody. I trust you're having a great day. My name is Rick Thomas, and we're doing Life Over Coffee. Thank you so much for joining me. I am about to do a men's retreat in Hendersonville, North Carolina, and they're asking me, of course, to talk to men, talk about leadership development, how to encourage, how to motivate the men of the church to be more proactive disciple makers. And so a lot of times when I go and do a meeting somewhere, I like to send them information ahead of time. Sometimes I develop information for them so that they can have it before I show up on site. One of the reasons for this, and the primary reason is, is that a a, a teaching time at a local church is a, a small short period, uh, two or three days, whatever it may be. With this men's retreat, it's going to be a night and a day. And so it's a short period of time, and that information can be a deluge of information, and it can be fantastic. And then they could lose it because it doesn't happen over an extended period. And so what I like to do with these conferences that I lead is to have a long lead into the actual meeting before I ever show up, and then after I leave to have an ongoing relationship with key people within the church or the organization. And so one of the ways that I can do that is to develop material beforehand, give it to them, and it kind of gets them thinking, and it, it, it adds color to what I'm going to do when I actually show up. And then when I show up, it's within a context. They know who I am. I'm not a stranger. They have heard me, listened to me, saw me. They've read our information. They have immersed themselves in solid materials, and they have been working with it over a period of weeks and sometimes even months. I did a conference in Canada a few years ago, and they started six months out dripping information to the local church. So when I got there, I was no stranger at all. But there was there was a huge amount of equipping that had already taken place before I showed up. And so that's the concept. And so I'm doing this men's retreat in Hendersonville, North Carolina, and I want to help them to grow in their discipleship with their one-anothering. I want them uh, also to be able to serve their families most effectively. And so I've developed a resource here that I want to share with you, and the title of it is A Proactive Plan for Leadership Development in the Church. And so if you're part of a local church and you would like to see it have a more robust discipleship emphasis, then this is an excellent resource for you. And so let me share with you a proactive plan for leadership development in the church. Again, thank you so much for being here. Now, by the way, if you do have a if you would like for me to speak uh, at your local church or to your organization, uh, please just contact us and, and let us know. I'll also be in Laredo, Texas in October, and we're doing a multi-day event there, and we've already started talking even though we are a month out. Again, I like to be able to drip information to them uh, so that we can extend the training opportunity, and hopefully that would allow the information to sink in beyond short-term memory by having a a long-term context and connectivity with them. And so if you would like for me to speak to your church or organization, just let us know. We can probably make it happen. Now, if, if we can't get 
to you on site, we also have another opportunity that could be hugely beneficial uh, for any leader within a local church or a councilor who has their own parachurch organization. And what I mean is, is that we do consulting and coaching all along. We have a 24-7 shop, we have a sanctification center, and it can benefit pastors, elders, leaders, small group leaders, ministry leaders, Bible study leaders, disciple makers, biblical counselors, etc. Any person in a leadership role who is doing the work of discipleship and they would like to have a coach, a consultant, a mentor, whatever you want to call this person, well, we have that place, and that is the supporting side of our ministry. We have private forums where we can interact with each other all day, all week long. For example, Cynthia, an ACBC certified biblical counselor, loves biblical counseling, has done, has got, received excellent training with ACBC, but she wants ongoing mentorship. And so she discovered our ministry. She became a supporting member. And now she's on our private forums and she's already interacting with us. And that is exactly what I am talking about. And so maybe that we can't come to your church and do a meeting, but we can still get together in cyberspace. I had a pastor just last week put something on the forum about a counseling situation in his local church, and he told me, he said, I just wanted another set of eyes because I'm not sure if I'm thinking correctly about this situation, and so I shared my perspective with him, which seemed to jive with what he was thinking, but it was very helpful to him to have another set of eyes, someone else speaking into it. Now, many times when they talk about uh, situations in their churches, they flatten it out. They don't use real names, real locations, and so forth. Just the big idea, just the data that we need to be able to interact with them. And so maybe that is something that would interest you. You could do like Cynthia and so many others uh, who come to our ministry because they just, they want camaraderie, uh, they want interaction, they want uh, ongoing training from a seasoned counselor, a seasoned team, and we become a good a good um, a, a, a good solution for that uh, because of how our ministry is set up and this is what we are about. We are a leadership development organization and so this could be the perfect spot for you and if you're interested in that, just become a supporting member. Uh, it will not cost you more than a, a Starbucks or two a month and so it's super inexpensive and it's world-class mentorship and so that could be uh, the perfect solution for you. Alright, so I want to walk through a proactive plan for a leadership development in the church. Our ministry has a super high view of the local church of the local church. I've always been that way. I do not see counseling. I do not see counseling organizations. I do not see formalized biblical counseling as a long-term solution. There's a lot of help in counseling. Uh, I've seen lives change through biblical counseling, but that's not the big idea of the New Testament as far as discipleship is concerned. One of the most challenging situations with any counselor or counseling ministry 
is getting counselees in a long-term sanctification context in their local churches where they can receive ongoing, lifelong care from competent disciple-makers. That is a huge struggle in so many counseling situations. At best, formalized biblical counseling is a fleeting season, a temporary respite. I'm not saying that it doesn't work. I'm not saying that it's a bad idea. Uh, You could think of it like this. If the sanctification river runs through or with the local church, that is the river that we should be in all the time. This long sanctification river from the point that we're born again until the point when we see Jesus. And then sometimes things can become triage-like in our lives or, or our families, and we need to pull out of this sanctification river into like a side eddy to receive intensive triage care because of the significance of whatever the situation may be in our lives. Well, that is a good fit for formalized biblical counseling, but it is essential that every believer understands that formalized biblical counseling is a fleeting season in a struggling person's life, whether that counseling happens inside the church or outside the church. And so to maximize the fullest potential of soul care possibilities, every single Christian must embed themselves in a local church, a disciple-making community to receive lifelong help. Counseling is a temporary relief to a long-term problem. That's probably the most succinct way to say it. Now, what is the long-term problem? If counseling is a temporary relief, not a full solution, but a relief to a long-term problem, well, here's the long-term problem. You and I, we have a long-term problem with with our toxic and adversarial relationship with sin. We have a toxic and adversarial relationship with sin, and that is juxtaposed to the lasting solution found in sanctification, progressive sanctification, within a local church. And so there are the two competing tensions. It's our toxic and adversarial relationship with sin that we must, we have to juxtapose with it, uh, with progressive sanctification in the local church. And so as long as there is sin, the adversary, the roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour, then we need a proportional, competent, ongoing context because we never know when sin is going to come knocking at our door. And so as I've said a couple of times, counseling can bring temporary relief while setting a new trajectory for anybody's life. But we got to get it into our heads. It is a short-term relationship with a counselor in a brief context. You see, the problem with sin is that it never takes a holiday, and we'll always be fighting it until we see Jesus. Therefore, we need a proactive plan for long-lasting and practical sanctification while situated in multiple contexts 
within a local body of believers. When I say multiple contexts, I'm just not talking about the church meeting on Sunday morning. If all we do is show up at the church meeting on Sunday morning, well, that is one context, but it may be the worst context for sanctification to happen within the local church because that context is primarily a monologue context where someone is preaching to us or teaching to us, but there is not a reciprocality of care. Now, I'm not throwing out the church meeting on Sunday morning with uh, the sanctification bathwater. I'm just saying that if that is all we do, well, Uh, then we are really short-circuiting what could be happening in our lives because we're not fully immersing ourselves in the full local body, that local assembly, that local church. When Paul talked about these things, he did lay out a conceptual plan, which I know that many of you are familiar with, and that conceptual plan talks about how pastors, leaders, can develop their leaders so that the church can mature into the fullness of what Christ offers to any regenerated person or group of believers. Now listen to how Paul talked about leadership development in the local church, which is the crux of what I'm presenting here. He said these words in Ephesians 4, I'll abbreviate some of it for length, but you can go to uh, Ephesians 4, and you can start at verse 11. He says he gave pastors and teachers, and we'll just focus on those in the local church, pastors and teachers to do what? He gave these leaders to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so there is a replication idea that you see in just those few words, that God gave pastors and teachers to equip people so people can do the work of the ministry, he goes on, for building up the body of Christ. How long? Well, until we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of our of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And so you can see in that passage of Scripture in Ephesians 4, our toxic and adversarial relationship with sin, he juxtaposes that to this idea of of developing leaders, a replication ministry that develops leaders in an ongoing way. And the ongoing way, the way the way that Paul described it, until we all attain the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so that is a long—you can't accomplish that in a biblical counseling session. That is impossible unless that biblical counseling session lasts forever. And that is the limitation of biblical counseling. But that's not a negative because we have a local church. Praise God. And so we have a context to develop people so that we can combat this toxic and adversarial relationship that we have with sin, or as Paul said it, so that we may no longer be children 
tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And so let's suppose that you are serious about discipleship in the local church. You should be. I know you are. And so praise God. Now, if that's you, I want to share with you just four, four concepts that I trust will spur you on to a conversation with other people within your local church that forms a proactive plan to implement biblical discipleship practices in your church. Now, I'm not saying that you don't have biblical discipleship practices in your church. Most of you do, if not all of you do. But these things won't hurt. These concepts that I'm sharing with you, you can just add to what you're doing now because these concepts are not the final or the exhaustive word on this matter but they will dovetail nicely into what you're doing at your local church. And if you don't have a proactive plan for developing leaders in your local church for the benefit of ongoing discipleship, then these four concepts that I'm going to share with you could be the beginning of something beautifully transformative in your church. And so these four concepts, not the final, not the exhaustive word, but the first one starts with you. And I've titled concept number one, practice your preaching. Now, Paul said it this way in Philippians 4, 9. He says, what you have learned, what you have received, what you have heard, and what you have seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul never extracted himself out of the linkage when it came to developing leaders and doing the work of discipleship. No, he immersed himself right in the linkage of doing discipleship in the local church. In fact, he considered himself Exhibit A before he ever thought about discipling other people. He saw himself as the first and foremost disciple, and so therefore, when he wanted to present a model of what mature manhood looked like, he said, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Imagine that. Go to someone in your local church. Dad, go to your uh, child. Husband, go to your wife. Wife, go to your husband and you say this. Husband, what you have learned, what you have received, what you have heard, what you have seen in me. Hubby, I want you to practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. That is a profound sentence. And so if you're going to develop leaders in the local church, then the first leader that you develop has to be you, or in my case, it has to be me. Now, this verse in Philippians 4, 9 was not just an anomaly, an outlier. He kind of said it again in a more succinct way in Ephesians 5, 1. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. 
Paul had this imitation idea at the top of mind. He wanted to model his preaching. He wanted to practice his preaching. He wanted to imitate God. You probably know the verse very well in 1 Corinthians 11.1. Paul said it again. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so this is not the dad who is yelling at the son and saying, son, I want you to be this way. But the dad has extracted himself from the linkage of sanctification. No, the dad immerses himself in that linkage and he turns to his son and says, hey, I want you to follow me as I follow Christ. Or as he said again in Philippians 4, 9, everything that you learned, everything that you received, everything that you heard, everything that you've seen in me, I want you to practice these things. And it comes with a promise. If you practice my life, if you imitate me, the God of peace will be with you. And so step number one of this proactive plan is for the church leadership to imitate the ideas, the concepts that they want their people to pursue. If you're going to develop leaders in the church, then point number one is practice your preaching. Notice what Paul said about the modeling aspect of discipleship in Philippians, in Ephesians, in 1 Corinthians. Teaching people under your care without modeling your instruction would be a tragic misstep. Sometimes when I meet with pastors, one of the questions that I ask them is, what do you want your congregation to be? What would you like them to become? How would you like them to be? What would be the outcome of of all of your work in their lives? If you had developed them and they had reached mature manhood, what would that look like? And then these pastors would list, oh, they would not be gossiping and and they would be uh, evangelizing and they would be doing the work of soul care and they would be volunteering for ministry and they would be uh, people of high character and uh, they would be people of integrity and transparency and honesty and on and on and on. And then I would say to the pastor, whatever those things are that you want them to be, then you must model those things before them. If we do not model what we teach, our instruction is going to suffer. And it will be harder for our disciples. It'll be harder for the church to mature. And so you probably have heard the saying, the cliche. There's a reason for the cliche. If that is Christianity, I don't want anything to do with it. Or our parents sent us to church, but they did not live it. It was a dichotomy life that they had. They were one thing at the church building on Sunday morning and another thing in the home. If we are going to develop leaders, if we're going to have a proactive plan for leadership development in our local church, the first leader that we have to develop has to be me. It has to be you. Now, I have a video in this. There's an article here the podcast, the video that I'm doing. But there's also another video here. And by the way, the title of it, as I said a while ago, maybe you have forgotten by now, but a proactive plan for leadership development in the church. That's the title of this talk uh, that I'm doing here. And so you can read what I'm sharing with you. You can also 
listen to the podcast. You can also watch the video. But there is also another video inside this article, and so I would love for you to go to our website and get this article, and you can watch. It's like seven minutes and it just gives a schematic of, of leadership development in the church, and I would love for you to watch that uh, short seven, eight-minute video. All right, so a proactive plan to develop leaders in the church. Point number one, practice what you preach. Number two, I want to talk about this idea that context, the environments that we create in the church, context don't change people, okay? And so the formula for leadership development is one, modeling, and then number two, instructing. And so I've, I've talked about that. We want to practice what we preach. And so modeling, practice, what we preach, instructing. All right, so number three is creating environments where potential leaders can develop. And so we need to create these contexts, situations, environments. The most important of these contexts, obviously, is the family. And I realize I'm talking about the local church in this talk here, but families are the heartbeat of the local church. And so if you're talking about context for church people to mature, then the number one context is the family. Families are the heartbeat of the church. If the families, if each individual family, if they are not pursuing God collectively as a family, as evidenced by incremental changes in the individuals of the family, then the church will not mature because the family are little component parts of the local church. Now, what I mean by family, a family is a husband and a wife. That's a family. If the family has children, then, well, that family is bigger. It's, it's a husband and a wife, and it's a child. And so that's what I mean by family, at least a husband and a wife. That is a family. It is an autonomous domestic empire of two people, and those two people are embedded in the local church with other families and other people, individuals. But if that family is not maturing, if that family is not doing the things that I'm suggesting here uh, then it will be like gangrene in the church, and the local church cannot become all that it should be because these autonomous domestic empires are not being what they should be. So that is one environment, and, and it's important that you can have that environment, the family, but change doesn't happen, and that's the point that I'm making here. Context don't change people. Context merely provide a, an environment for people to change. Now, there's other contexts as well, a friendship context, hospitality, having people, having people in your local church over to your home, church ministries, Bible studies, or other things that, other church ministries that are provided by that local church. Small group context, that's an excellent context, and I'm sure that you can think of more. But the fundamental concept to nail down regarding these contexts is that they are not the means by which sanctification takes place, but they are merely the environment for sanctification to take place. Contexts merely provide opportunities for transformation to happen. A context is only as significant as the depth 
in which the people who participate in those contexts have the equipping and the envisioning to do the work of sanctification within those contexts, meaning you can get together in 50 different contexts during any month in a local church, and zero sanctification happens because context doesn't bring change. Context merely provides a situation for serious people about change to do the work of spurring one another on to love and good deeds. Nearly every week of my life, someone is talking to me about their religious context and how it doesn't have a sanctification edge, that they are not intentionally intrusive in each other's life. They talk about the frustration with the superficiality of the context, and they desire for someone to help them to apply God's Word in real and practical ways to their lives because it's not happening in the context of the church or that the church provides. And so point number one, a proactive plan to develop leaders in your church, practice what you preach. Number two, recognize that contexts do not change people, but merely provide an environment for serious people who want to be intentionally intrusive in each other's lives, which leads to number three, people change people, not context, people change people. Though people may learn things in the context provided by the church, Bible studies, you can build a silo full of Bible knowledge in a Bible study. Praise God for Bible studies. But the issue for many Christians is not a lack of learning, but an inability to apply the information that they are learning practically. I rarely tell folks within my immediate spheres more about the Bible than they already know. Most people I know, I mean, I I live in the South, and we are quite religious, and I mean that in a good way. We know our Bibles to a good extent. And it's not unusual to run into somebody who can parse out the Greek, quote the New Testament. I mean, they're everywhere. Go into any coffee shop and you'll find somebody reading the Bible, studying the Bible, or reading a book. We are knowledge enthusiasts. Now, part of that, I mean, it's a good thing, but part of that is because learning the Bible is a lot easier than practicalizing it. It's easier to get along with my Bible and to read it than to get along with somebody and talk about the sin in my life. And, that, and the number one breakdown for us knowledge enthusiasts is that we do not know how to take the words of God that we have already learned and apply it practically in our lives or the lives of other people. And so these people who come to me who are frustrated, they need someone to come alongside them within these contexts to speak into their lives in personal, customizable practical and biblical ways. The people who work within these contexts must understand that the primary purpose of the context is not merely to get together to provide a function, but to use the gatherings as opportunities to bring change into the individual lives of those who are participating in these contexts. And so number three, people change 
people. Number two, context doesn't change people. Number three, people do change people. And then number four, equipped leaders equip. And so here's the replication part. And so I, I just got through saying that contexts are not merely an opportunity to get together to provide a function, but to use the gatherings as opportunities to bring change into the individual lives of those who are participating in the context. And so I want to give you an example of that under point number four, equipped leaders equip. For example, you're a nursery worker. There's your context. And so you, you see your primary responsibility as a nursery worker to speak into the lives of the moms who bring their kids to you to take care of. You see taking care of the children, that's the context. And that serves a, a, a beneficial utilitarian uh, need within the church. But that's the context. But because you are a proactive leader and you realize that, that context doesn't change people, but people change people, and so you are an equipped leader and you want to equip others, and so you're in this context of the nursery, and you see that you're serving a utilitarian and essential function of the church in a secondary matter, a secondary way. Your primary purpose in this context of the nursery, is to speak into the lives of the moms who come to you. If you do not see a calling any higher than changing diapers, if you do not see a calling any higher than providing a context for the church babysitting, you could likely be tempted to get frustrated with the people within your care because of the lack of transformation that you see in their lives. You see, Jesus repeatedly took advantage of the context that he was in by helping others grow in their sanctification. He saw the context as an opportunity to do soul work on anyone who would listen to him. And so he would go into the context and change them diapers and take care of them babies or whatever the context was requiring of him. But he was always scanning the room, seeing who could he drop a word, who would listen to him. Whoa, there's a man up in a tree. Zacchaeus, what you doing up in that tree? I got a word for you. Come down here. I want to talk. The environment provided an opportunity for transformation, but without his intentionality. There would have been no transformation. It would be just another religious event. I changed seven diapers today, and three kids pinched three other kids, and another kid stole some M&Ms, and I was the referee over four arguments, and I'm a nursery worker. No, we just don't want another religious event. And so regardless of the setting, Jesus would use the moment to bring personal effective change into people's lives. I titled this talk, A Proactive Plan, for leadership development in the church. I just gave you four concepts. It's not the final and exhaustive word on this matter. Of course not. But number one, practice what you preach. Number two, recognize that context don't change people. Number three, people change 
people. And then number four, equipped leaders equip. And so now we're ready and we go into those contexts, scanning the room, looking up in the tree, seeing who we can find and asking them to come down so we can have a conversation because we're proactive and we are intentional, a proactive plan for leadership development in the church. I want to wrap up by asking you six questions. Okay. Number one, how would you describe yourself as a practical practitioner of what you preach? Your life is an open book. Here's a follow-up question. What are others reading from the life story that you present to them? What have you said like Paul? Everything that you've heard and learned and received and seen in me, do those things and the God of peace will be with you. How would you describe yourself as a practical practitioner of what you preach. Number two, what do I mean when I talk about contexts that don't change people? And maybe a follow-up, why can you have the best Bible context in the world, but few lives experience transformation? We go away with our nuggets of the day. We have a whole pouch full of nuggets. It's like the gold rush. We got so many nuggets in our pouches but our lives are not changed. The question is, what do I mean when I talk about context that don't change people? Why can you have the best Bible context in the world, but few lives experience transformation? Number three, describe your soul care context. Are they transformative? How proactive are you with intrusively inserting yourself into the lives of others? Number four, is your church a caring community? of intentional disciple makers? That's yes or no. Would you extrapolate? Would you explain your answer? Is your church a caring community of intentional Christ-like disciple makers? And here's a quick follow-up that really goes with what I just asked you. Number five, are you quicker to grumble about the problems in your church, or are you quicker to bring solutions by your example what you heard, seen, learned, and received from me, and how you disciple others. Are you quicker to grumble, or are you quicker to bring solutions by your example and your discipleship effort? Finally, number six, is there a reciprocality effect for discipleship? And what I mean by that is where the care goes both ways, rather than just you doing all the maintenance of the souls of the church. If we're talking about a proactive plan for developing leaders, we do want to add this part to it. It can't be unidirectional where you are doing all the discipleship. If the church is wholesome, if the church is robust, if the church has a plenary understanding of discipleship, then there is a reciprocality effect where the leader is, no matter who the leader is, it could be the senior pastor, the the, 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 the teaching elder, whatever the leadership governance of the church is. But those leaders are being cared for as well. If there's not a reciprocality effect for discipleship, then uh, that could be an Achilles heel uh, in the church that could uh, at some point disrupt and maybe even destroy uh, what could happen in the church because uh, some of the leaders were flying under the ra radar, not 
receiving the very care that they were putting out, there was no reciprocality effect. If you'd like to talk about this, we uh, do have a, a support ministry on our forums. And if you are a supporting member of our ministry, I don't, you don't have to be. Uh, but I just want to let you know that that opportunity is there. Uh, you can jump on our forums and we can interact with you. We can't interact with everybody in a dialogue way because we, it's not scalable. It's just not possible. There, there's only like 10 of us, and there's almost 8 billion people now. And so we can't talk to everyone. But if you're serious about change and have the ability to become a supporting member, please uh, become part of our community. If not, I've got great news for you. All of our resources are free. And so come shop. You can fill up your basket and you can bring another basket with you and take them all home. Share them freely as you have received them freely. A proactive plan for leadership development in the church. Thank you so much and God bless. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.